0: Hello, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Welcome to you. Some of you are guests I know, and we're glad you're with us uh, for this series. Are you ready to get schooled? Yep. It's that time of year when uh, this last week a lot of people found themselves back in a classroom, whether at the university or in their own living room or or some school, uh, you know, which means scenes like the one you're seeing on the screen here played out all over (laughs) the county. Resistance is futile, children. Forget it. But not everybody was sad, actually. See if you can tell in this next picture who's not unhappy about school. (laughs) Beginning once in a while you see something like that. Uh, I have actually a couple of pictures from some of our staff kids. Here's another one here. Here's here's Isaac Fox over there on the left. First day of kindergarten this last week. And there's there's Asher Bolin, son of worship pastor Kirk Bolin and Amanda. There he's a first grader with the little little man hat. And then J L Erickson's in second grade. First day of school this last week. Holly and Luke's daughter. And here's a picture of my own son Andrew. Dumped him off at college. Uh, Good riddance. And uh, he's. He's, uh, he's beginning down there. There's a picture of him and his roommate and that stuffed goat that he insisted on taking to his dorm room. I don't know why. You can see he's got... That dorm room is really lushly uh, uh, apportioned there. Uh, he's really decorated it very nicely there. Um, whether, you know, you're, you're starting kindergarten or you're starting university, there is... Um, there's apprehension about school beginning uh, because there's new things to learn. There's, there's things that uh, you don't know what's coming, what's going to be expected of you, how you might have to change and adapt. And really, I, I'm suggesting to us that as we, uh, you know, run through these next few weeks, we maybe all ought to feel that way a little bit because when you're engaging in, with Jesus... There's there's probably going to need to be some anxiousness and some apprehension because he's going to expect things of us. There's new things in store for us as well. If you're truly schooled by Jesus, there's so much that each of us can learn and needs to learn. None of us gets to say, well, this is too hard for me and above my head. None of us can say, it's beneath me and I'm already arrived. But there's something for all of us, okay? Wherever you are, wherever you're starting in the school uh, with with Jesus, we talked last week about how Jesus bursts on the scene in the first century, kind of comes into this rabbinical Hebraic r- rabbinical school of teaching, and he comes as a different kind of rabbi, a different kind of teacher. Um, the rabbis in those days would um, would be you know go about teaching, and then you would go apply and say, "May I be your disciple?" and they would weed you out and screen, and, and then keep only the good ones. And Jesus flips that on its head and comes to each of us and says, "Now I'm calling you, and I want you to be my disciple." Which means he's inviting you to follow him, to devote your life to him. Not just to learn a few things about what he thinks, but essentially to be like him. And that's what it means to be a disciple, to be a student so that you become like Jesus. Because in the school of Jesus, it's about way more than absorbing information. It's about character transformation. It's about more than information dissemination. It's about life transformation. And so, uh, Jesus, uh, just before he uh, left the earth for the last time when he was here, he uh, spoke these words we we now call the Great Commission. They're recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18 and 20. We'll put them on the screen. Let's say them together, okay? These are words of Jesus for all of us. Ready? Here it is. Say them together. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So here's Jesus. He calls us to be disciples and he says, now go make other disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples because as we follow Jesus in the school of Jesus, that's the key for us. To to fulfill God's mission to save the world through what Christ has done on the cross. So you start becoming a disciple by getting baptized. And some of you haven't taken that step. You need to. We have a baptism splash plan. We have a put, swimming pool we'll put outside here on the Mountain Road campus, right out here in the parking lot, September 20th. Sign up and get yourself dunked. That's how you get started. But don't stop there, he says, goes on to say, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's what the school series is trying to say is, where do we start if we're going to be students of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, and, and how do we get started with the teaching them to obey everything I've commanded? So Jesus says, well, let me break it down and give you kind of core curriculum. I'll help you know where to start. And that's when, as we heard just moments ago from Alex, when, the, when they said, where do we start? What's the most important thing to know and to do? To be as a follower of Jesus. That's when Jesus said, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he said, Well, let's start right here. Love the Lord your God with everything in you your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes on to add in the next verse. In addition to love God, he says, And also love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. This is also just as important. And then Jesus is the one who lived his life as a servant. And modeled that servanthood and then tells us in Mark 10:45, the Son of Man didn't just come to be served, but to serve. Serve people. And these three things, they form the core curriculum of what it is to be a Christian. This is where you start and there's enough here to keep us busy for a lifetime. Isn't there? So class, get out your school planner. You should have got a school planner on the way in, right? You've got to have that school planner because that's where your assignments are kept. Jesus got some stuff for you. So you might want to take some notes and uh, let's go to the board. All right, everybody, pay attention here. If someone next to you in class is sleeping, just, you know, wake him up. Here we go. Core curriculum. What do I got to do to be a follower of Jesus? What does a disciple look like if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus? First of all, love God. Everybody say it. Love God. Love God. Right. Here we might picture this as as two arrows kind of moving this way, one down, one up, because that's the that's the direction of the relationship when we talk about love God. Picture a child who has skinned their knee, a little boy or girl, running in the driveway up to the house with their arms up, lip quivering, reaching out for daddy and then daddy coming out of the house, arms down to meet. And they embrace because there's a history of relationship there of trust and love and security and warmth and that picture is what's at the heart of love God, right here. There's two kind of components that help us flesh that out. If you want to love God, you've got to find a way to worship together with some other people. And in addition to that, we've got to find a way to abide alone, where it's just you and Jesus hanging out with some FaceTime. These two things love God. The key question, the key question that the teacher wants to know here is when is this stuff happening in your life? That's the teacher's notes, part of your your notes here. The teacher has an assignment for us to answer. If you can't answer that when question, it may not be happening really, and so your relationship with God is going to be weaker. Okay? Love God. What's next? Come on, this is class participation. You're graded on participation here. Love people. right, love people. Love people. And here we might draw the arrows instead of this way. We draw them in facing each other this way because it's, it's representing the coming together. You could picture it with your arms instead of up like this, kind of like you got an arm around two people because you can't do this Jesus thing alone. You've got to be connected with some others. So there, the two kind of takeaways or components here are hold on and reach out. Okay? Hold on refers to the fact that you've got to... Beyond the journey with Jesus with some others who are also believers in Jesus. You can't be a solo, lone ranger, follower of God and expect to survive. You've got to hold on to some others. At the same time, we've got to reach out to some others who are far from God. Remember, we're to make disciples of all people, not just those already in the family. So you're holding on, but you're also at the same time reaching out. There's someone in your life that you know who doesn't know God. So you're holding on to some others who know God and know you and you're reaching out for some others that you know who don't know God. Love people. The key question here from the teacher is who? What are the names? What are the names of the people in your life that you're holding on to in Christian fellowship? Are you in a group? Are you connecting with some other believers? What are their names? And, and what's the name of the person or people that you're building relationships with connecting to and saying God could you use me to love them in a special way just to reach out to them love God love people what's left serve the world some of you just woke up great glad you joined us serve the world right and here we can just picture with our hands out this way because it's about service the two kind of bulleted takeaways are this get down and get going. Now some of you are thinking, as you hear get down, you're thinking about the 80s. No, we're not getting down in that way. Get down refers to just humility. Lowering ourselves, humbling ourselves enough to actually serve. And get going means take those good intentions and put them into action. Actually do something. Get going. Do something. Show me where you're serving. The key word here from the teacher is where. Where are you Demonstrating humility and serving on a regular basis. If you can't answer that question with specificity, chances are it's a noble, well-intentioned, good idea in your head that's only coming out every so often, maybe not as often as you think, and it's probably not marking you as a person. And your relationship with God, your discipleship with Jesus, won't uh, won't be what it could be. Here we we got the arrows going out this way. So that's it. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. You try. All right, you can do it. Hands up. Is it okay? Yep, you're good. You can be sure. Ready? Love God. Love people. Serve the world. Pretty lame so far. Let's try it again. Y'all get it like a C minus so far. Ready? Love God. Love people. Serve the world. Okay, now you can just flip your hands over and serve the world by massaging the shoulders of the person in front of you. Okay, one more time. Ready? You got it. Really good. YMCA. Okay, so yeah, that's it. That's the idea. You know what? Someone says, how do I get started following Jesus? It's right here. You start by loving God and loving people and serving the world. Someone says, I've been, I've been following Jesus 80 years. What's left for me to do? When the experts of the law came asking Jesus, what, what do we need to do? We're already experts in, in matters of religion and faith. And he said, how about you start right here? Love God, love people, serve the world. There's something for all of us. We want to kind of dig into these things over these next couple of weeks. And you might want to be taking notes here. This is how mountain is structured and organized. And it's also a challenge for each of us to kind of live our lives based around these three things. Love God, love people, serve the world. Okay? Let me give you a, Today we're just going to talk about love God. And we're going to focus on those two components underneath. But first we just have to remind ourselves that this is a relationship we're talking about. That God actually loves us. I know so many people that go through the motions of their Christian life without really ever letting that truth sink in. That God is love. God is a God of love. He's created us out of love for a relationship with love. When we think of God, so many people think of condemnation and guilt and fear and shame and like He's out to smack you. The Bible says God so loved the world and the people in it that He gave His most precious possession, His own Son, that whoever, any of us, would trust and believe and follow that Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that that person would never die but live forever. Verse 17 of John 3 goes on to say that God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, to show us how bad and awful we were, but that the world through Him might be rescued. God loves us, and that means you can love God back. There's a relationship there, and that's what we're talking about. Jesus wasn't talking about memorizing some data about God or sort of doing some things that you think will make God happy and less angry at you. He's talking about the fact that God loves you. Guess what? You can love him back. There's a relationship there, and that's where we have to begin. When you have a love relationship with God, that's different than any kind of going through any religious motions. It's what gives you a kind of staying power to your faith. It's what gives you a strength, a grounding in your life that takes your belief and your faith way beyond the sort of ups and downs of emotionalism and spiritual highs. You can become like that person that Psalm 1 describes when it says that person who has that recognition that God is love and I long for that connection with God. You, you'll, you're like, verse 3 says, that one's like a tree planted by streams of water. So the tree is planted by the edge of the river where the roots go down deep and there's nutrients and water beneath the surface that is going to constantly feed that tree. And it's going to yield fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. I know way too many Christians whose leaf withers they fade, they, they get bored or easy, a little opposition comes along and they wilt. If there's temptation or something better comes along or where they just drift away. If you, you want to be deep, you've you got to stay connected. You've got to get your roots down and that, that, that doesn't happen through a bunch of stuff you try to do. It happens when you know God loves you and you love Him back. That's what Colossians 2 is getting at when it says, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now continue in Him and be rooted And built up in him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught. So, if you want your life in God to look like that, well, what do we do? Well, there's these two non-negotiable core fundamental practices that are absolutely vital components of your relationship with God. And here they are. Same with me. What are they? First of all, if you want to love God, you're going to worship together and abide alone. Let's start with worship together. Worship together. We've got to find ways to have in a regular part of our diet on a regular basis the gathering with other believers for the worship of God. Christian worship. The Bible says that there's something really special and vital that happens. If you gather regularly here at Mountain, you probably sense that, that. There's something that's different about being together with other believers in God's presence that I can never approximate on my own. When I'm out on the golf course, I hope I'm thinking good God thoughts. But there's something different when we gather together here. The Bible actually says that God inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits. He He hangs out in. He dwells. He shows up in a special way when we get together in his name. Some of you feel that and you can sense it. You can also know it in your head even if you don't feel it. God inhabits the praises of his people. He shows up. So yes, you know... the the songs that we sing are the same eight notes you could sing any kind of song about. But when we sing these songs to God from our hearts, God shows up in that moment in a special way. And that's worship. You know, the the, the water that we we just saw baptism in, it's just H2O, but God shows up in a special way when we worship in that way. The, The communion bread, you could buy at the grocery store, but when we share in those intimate moments of communion god inhabits it god shows up jesus says i'm with you i'm there somehow and it's special there's an inhabiting now there's some misconceptions about worship that we probably just want to touch on before we talk any more about some of the practical side of it you know there's that movie princess bride And there's that goofy guy that always says, he's always using the word inconceivable, inconceivable. And he keeps saying, and then somebody finally says, you keep using that word. I don't think you, I don't think it means what you think it means. And um, I think sometimes we use the word worship a lot. Um, Let's make sure we know kind of what it means and what it doesn't mean. There's a lot of misconceptions. Some of us have probably slipped into from time to time. Like, for example, I think a lot of people tend to reduce worship down in their mind to this sort of, it's a service you go to on the weekend. It's like this hour and a half that you go to. That's worship. And, of course, we're making the point that what happens when we do gather is really important. But worship, don't forget this, worship is so much more than that. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that worship is really our whole life. Everything we are 24-7 and 365 is some form of worship or another. And what God asks us is to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not just for an hour on a weekend, but with our whole lives. So worship becomes this much bigger deal. Your life is God's gift to you. How you give it back to Him is your gift to Him, and that's worship. So in your school, at your job, in your home, the other six days of the week, because that's a reminder that, that, that following Jesus isn't primarily about going to church. It's about being the church as you live your life on mission out there. So it's important to remember that as a misconception, isn't it? Another misconception, I think, is that we come to worship to kind of get God to do something for us. Like, like, like if we put in our time, it's sort of maybe going to give me a good spiritual kickback. You know what I'm saying? Like... This is like ancient paganism, like you drag, drag some woman by the hair up the mountain and dump her into the volcano as a sacrifice and hope the god of the volcano doesn't, you know, rain uh, uh, on, on your village in a bad way or something. And we sort of think the same thing, like if I come to worship, put in my time, put a buck in the plate, hang on a little bit, I'll get some good Jesus karma kicking back for me. And the people kind of think of it that way sometimes. We've got to remember whenever we think I'm going to go to worship to sort of get God to do something for me, we've got it backwards because we come to worship not to get God to do something for us, but because God has already done stuff for us. We come not to try to get a response out of God, but in response to what God has already done. That's a major difference and it changes fundamentally how we come. This is why Psalm 103 says it this way. Sometimes we come saying, okay, I'm going to go to worship, and then I'll say, okay, no, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. But it says, no, no, no. Proper worship is when you come and you say, bless you, Lord. You're awesome. Way to go. We love you. You're worth, you're worth it. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, all my inmost being, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I love God. I'm going to praise His holy name. And then it says, and don't you forget All of his benefits. Don't forget. Don't walk in here thinking, well, God ain't done nothing for me lately. He's kind of on my bad list. We'll see if maybe I show up. He'll start doing stuff for me. You know, we come out of recognition of what God has done. I actually list some of them. He forgives our sins. He heals us from diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. Where would we be without God? He puts compassion in your life. He renews your strength like an eagle. Don't forget that stuff. And you come with it in our minds rather than just saying well I wonder if I go you know is God going to do something but you remember what God has done Psalm 100 says you enter his gates with thanksgiving you come with thanks ready to give to God this is why Romans 12 will say it this way therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercies, in light of everything God's done for us and for you in your life in light of that well then what should we do well How about we just offer our bodies to God in worship? You climb up on the altar and you say, here's my sacrifice, Lord. It's me. Here I am. That, the Bible says, is your reasonable act of worship. So we respond to God because of what he's already done. And the last misconception might be, I think in America particularly, we tend to think of worship as a spectator sport. It's like an event or a concert you go to. I know it's hard. You you were sitting in rows. You come in, there's a screen, there's a stage, there's talented musicians, handsome hunk of a guy preaching. I know it's hard to take your eyes off. I get it. I know it's hard. But we we can't get into this spectator mode like we're Simon Cowell or something, you know, or or America's Got Talent. We're just kind of rating things and spectating and observing from a distance because we're going to miss what God has invited us into, which is a real relationship where we love Him and we're gathering with others. So, You know, don't you know I kind of sit there and kind of listen to the sermon and sort of rate it, you know, it's like, well, there's a seven because the jokes weren't that funny or whatever, you know. Guess what? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. We're not the audience. We're not the audience. Who's the audience? There's an audience of one in worship, and it's God, and so all of us come together. Here's what the Bible says it's amazing. We come with our brokenness. We come with our sinfulness. We come bumbling and humbling ourselves and fumbling as we try to just bring some worship to God, saying we love Him, saying we're sorry, saying we are we're needy, we're needy, we need Him. And guess what In that? That's worship. And God says, I like that. And I'll inhabit that. And that's what worship is. And so my advice to you, as we think about worship and how you're going to get this element in your life, my advice to you is get here. Make it a priority. Somehow, some way in your life, if you want to follow God, make gathering with other believers on a regular, consistent basis for worship a high, non negotiable priority in your life. Don't tell me you want to grow in God if you're not gathering to worship with His people. So. You know, you can. that's one reason we work so hard at Mount. We've got nine services to choose from. You know, find one. Make that your place. We'll work very hard to make it a place where we can meet God. We're going to prepare well and be ready. But it starts with all of us coming and, and agreeing that we're going to not be spectators, but we're going to do our best to participate instead of spectate. When the songs come on the screen, you know, do your best to pull yourself out of your shell. Get your arms unfolded. Quit saying, well, I don't know this one, or I'm going to check my mail. You know what? Just... Do your best to let the words come off the screen into your mind. Think about what they're saying. Let them echo around in the chambers of your own heart and then offer some squeaky sound out your mouth. Don't worry what it sounds like. Offer it back to God as your own prayer, your own song. When communion comes and it's passed and we have those moments of quiet and somber moments, just it, it could be the only little haven you have during the week to really connect with God, knowing you're in a safe place with other believers to do that. Meet Jesus there at communion every week. When the sermon's there, instead of just only wondering who's preaching or what they're going to say, maybe try to figure out what God is saying to you through his word and then what you're going to do about it. And in these ways, see, we engage and we, we're not only gathered with others, now we're connected to God. And it's going to help you grow. It's going to help you grow. The weekend service, friends, it's like, a, it's like a locker room talk. The real game's out there on the field. We know that, but every so often we come together in the locker room, we huddle up with the team, and Coach Jesus gathers us around and says, okay team, you're not crazy, hang in there, I know you got beat up this week, we're gonna, we're gonna, we got, we, I got a game plan, and, 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 and Father God runs around with Holy Spirit, Gatorade, and gives you all a big shoot of juice, and then, and then you get the Bible out, the, the, the playbook, and we go over things, we say, now let's go get them again, and we get filled, and, and we're ready to go, so, so that's what we need to be here together. Number one, worship together. Everybody on board? Okay. I'm not saying this to drum up business. I'm saying it because if you want to follow Jesus, you got you to have this peace. Second, the second thing, abide alone. There's times when the whole family's got to get together. Yes, but there's other times you got to just you and Jesus hang out, one on one. I sent my kid off to college. Haven't heard from him yet much. You know, a little text here and there. But there's a day coming. We got our, we got our Google Chat. We got our FaceTime. It's going to be like, okay, dude, what's up? You know, how's it going? What's happening? How far is your class? Did you make it to class on time? What's going on? You know, any cute girls? All that stuff. We're going to catch up face to face. Okay? And we need to do the same thing with Jesus, don't we? Life gets busy, you know? It's hard. Stuff going on all the time. And we can mean I want to serve God. And before long, if we're not careful, we're just going through motions. But you've got to have face time. That's what abide alone means. Some one-on-one time with you and the Lord. You know... Um, Jesus uses this word abide. It, it appears in John chapter 15. He's helping disciples kind of be ready for hard times that might be coming. Just like we might have some hard times that might be coming. And that's when he says, it's really important that you remain in me. John 15, 4. You remain in me. In me. In me. And I'll remain in you. It's, or it's the word abide. You sometimes see it translated that word. Abide. Abiding in him and he in us. It means to remain closely connected. Like knit together at a soul level with Jesus. So there's a real kind of connection there. It means more than visit. It means I'm going to live with, dwell with, remain, abide, hang out with. How close are you to Jesus? That's, he's hoping if you remain in me, I he promises I will remain in you. I'll abide right with you. There'll be a kind of latching on to, so we're weaving our lives and souls together at every level. We're aware of His presence. He's in our minds and thoughts, and He's, and he's connected to us, and it's like super glue to the soul. Abide with me and I with you. We've got to have that in our lives. He's, he's using a, um, a botanical, like an agricultural term, Referring to the way vines and branches were attached. And in that culture, that was a big deal. Look at verse 5. He says, Jesus says, I am the vine. That's the main stalk, like the trunk of a tree. I'm the vine and you are the branches that come off the the main vine. If a person abides in me and I in them, that person will bear much fruit. So it's like a, a branch that is grafted in to this particular vine. And if you do that, you're going to bear much fruit. If you're not connected to the vine, you're apart from me and you can do nothing. So the vine is where the nutrients come up from the ground and are fed out to the branches. And that's the kind of life we really need and want. It's the relationship we want. Jesus says in verse 1, I'm the true vine. You might take your branch, you might try to attach it to some other vine. And graft it in, start taking your nutrients. So the question, but, but it's not going to lead you to the fruitful kind of life you really need and want. So you're a branch. So the question becomes: What vine are you attached to? From what source are you hoping to draw everything that's important in your life? When, when you're scared, where do you go? When you're when you need to make a decision, who guides you? When you're heading someplace new, how do you know where to go? This is what it means to be connected as a disciple to Jesus, like a branch to a vine. I think sometimes the reason that people who want to say, well, I'm trying to live like a Christian, but they still maybe feel flat and miserable so much of the time, or they, they feel like they, they're hollow inside, have no meaning or purpose, or, or they, they get upset all the time, or they can't handle their anger issues, they can't kick their addiction. They don't really grow or change that much. Or or people who say they want to be a Christian, but they can't release worry or unforgiveness. Or they get consumed with worldly affairs or swallowed up in temptation or, or, you know, just sunk into materialism, keeping up with the Joneses. See, all those things, in those moments, we're, we're grafted into some other vine. We're not abiding in Christ and He in us. And we're trying to attach the branch of our life. To some other vine that we hope will provide what we're really looking for. Whether it's a person or accomplishment or a drug or, or some success or notoriety or a perfect family life. Whatever it is. And whatever you attach your branch to, if it isn't Jesus as the vine, you're not going to have that fruitful life, that loving God relationship you're looking for. And you won't have real joy and peace either. So we've got to abide in Him and He will abide in us. Attach the branch of your life to Jesus. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to make time for it. Make time for it. Because one of Satan's big things is he's not going to tempt you with sin. Sometimes he'll just tempt you to be too busy for God. That's just the easiest thing he can do. Like any other relationship, if you don't make time for it, it won't grow and flourish. It's that way with Jesus. A couple that hangs out together so much at the beginning they're just you know they're playing Yahtzee together they play tennis together they go for pizza they do all this stuff together someone says oh you know you better get a date night they're like we don't need a date night we got a date life but then they get married and kids come and jobs get busy and life gets in the way and they start drifting apart they don't do those things anymore what happens? someone says you better get a date night they're like you're right So they set time aside, and they say, you know what? We're going to play Yahtzee Friday night, and then we're going to play tennis. We're going to eat pizza. They put back into the life the things that the relationship needs, and it can flourish again. Friends, I need to do the same thing with Jesus, and so do you. Make time for it, except instead of just only playing Yahtzee and tennis and eating pizza with Jesus, you do all those things, but there's two other things I want to give you that will really help you abide alone. You know what they are? Bible and prayer. Make time for Bible and prayer in your life if you want your relationship with Jesus to grow. Bible and prayer. Prayer, simply the real you, having a real conversation with the real God. Talking to God, keeping it real. The teacher wants to know, when are we doing that again? When is that happening? Bible, we're talking about somehow you getting into the Word. Get into the Word somehow so that the Word can get into you. And when that happens, we get past absorbing information from the Bible to life transformation with Jesus. Bible and prayer. How's it happening? When is it happening in your life? Now, as we, as we talk about this, it's important to probably remember that we don't all learn and grow in exactly the same way. At schools all across the county this week, teachers are very aware of learning styles. Kids learn in different ways, and you have to pay attention to that. If you try to ram them all down the same, you know, cookie cutter approach, you know, it's going to be hard for certain kids. And just as we learn differently, we relate to God differently, and we have kind of different spiritual pathways. In fact, there's a book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways, which um, we're making it available in our resource center if you're interested in that. So you can study, what's my personality? What's my temperament? What are the things? Some people will tell you, you got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and study for an hour every morning. Other people who are not morning people, it's clear, they are not morning people. And if this is the only way to get to know Jesus, you might as well just give up on being a Christian right now. But it's okay because there's different pathways some people love reading for others that's a struggle They're auditory they need to hear that kind of as a recording as they're driving down the road they they get their bible you know on their ipod or something others are energized by music and they meet god in powerful moments others by nature and others they need to be instead of at the beach or the mountains they need to be in their in their room with the door closed and it's quiet some of you are great with words and inspiring prayers and things like that or devotional books will just light your fire and connect you to god others when you pray, you might need just a crayon or two and a blank piece of paper and draw a picture of what you need to say to God. And that will connect you. What's your pathway? Those are important things for us to be in touch about. But one way or another, we've got to get the Word into us so we can get into the Word. And we've got to have prayer an ongoing conversation with God. A couple of practical helps here. One, some of you have smartphones or computers. Great. You, you can use the Bible app. It's just Bible.com. Uh, go, just look up Bible as, on your app store, and it'll bring up that little brown Bible. Download that app if you don't have it. Yeah, and there's so much on there, but you could just start with a simple plan to read some Bible. Start with a partial plan. Click on the book of Luke, for example, and it'll send you a ping every morning, and there it is. Now you've got your reading right there in front of you, and it's a way to read. It's always with you. Instead of cussing people out at the MVA, you can be just reading your Bible plan, See, wherever you are. There's some other stuff about Bible coming up. We're teaching a class called the Bible Made Simple. It's coming up real quick and uh, Dave Flumbum's teaching that class. People are always complaining, I don't know how to read the Bible. Well, here's a class, starts on September 10th. Or there's one for, you want to go deeper into some studies with the prophets. We're always offering these classes. It's it's a class on the the prophets from the Old Testament. You want to study the Bible, we'll help you do it. If you want to pray, sometimes just as one of many examples, some of us need to explore journaling. Where instead of, you know, if you have trouble just sitting, folding your hands and talking to God and you're always falling asleep or you can't think of the words, you know, sometimes journaling is a helpful way. Get a blank notebook and just talk to God in an honest way. Maybe process your emotions. Maybe think about the day. Maybe just write short little prayers. Maybe tell them what ticks you off. Today I'm feeling like a failure as a parent or I'm tired today. Or maybe you just read one verse of Scripture and talk about in writing what you think it might mean for many people this has been an avenue to connect with God others sometimes struggle with prayer I don't know I always fall asleep I don't know what to say or I'm sick of listening to my own voice Uh, another resource we're providing is called hour by hour it's just a simple little collection of prayers Christians all over the world for centuries have used this four times a day set prayers you can borrow the words from the Bible borrow the words from some other Christian who's already written them down and, and let those be your prayer Sometimes that's refreshing and it connects you to a wider church and that can be an important, powerful way. I'm going to give you about 15 seconds right now to get your planner out and do your best to answer this question. When? As you desire to love God and connect with the Lord, through gathering together and abiding alone, when is that going to happen? What does it need to look like? Go ahead and write whatever you're led to write on there right now as your takeaway, your homework, and a moment of kind of just deciding how you're going to get clarity on that. How are you going to get a real connection with Jesus? How are you going to regularly meet God through His Word? Is there a new practice you need to introduce like fasting or praying with your family or using your lunch hour more productively or your car time to help abide alone or connect? Is there a commitment to How you come to worship and when that would strengthen your walk with God. Brendan Manning used to be a pastor down in New Orleans and he got a phone call one day from a woman who said, I hear you're a minister. Would you come over and visit with my father? He said, of course I will. Uh, she said, my father is uh, very old and he's dying. We're here at hospice. He shows up at the house and she took him to a back room where he was propped up on pillows in this stale smelling room. Empty chair next to the bed. So he sat down in it and began to visit. And the man said, you're a minister. He said, yes, I am. So, said, can I ask you something? He said, of course. He I've always believed in God. I've always known Jesus was present in my life. I've always worried about whether I really connected with him properly. I don't feel like I know how to pray for sure. He said one time a pastor gave me a book on prayer and I couldn't get past page three. I just didn't understand it or it didn't make any sense to me at all. But another believer one time told me if I wanted to pray, I could just like put an empty chair and just imagine Jesus was sitting in that chair. And then I could just talk to him like I would a friend. I could tell him what I was afraid of. Tell him I'm sorry. Thank him. Tell him I love him. And I've been praying like that for a long, long time. And then he added, almost apologetically, is that wrong? Am I doing it wrong? And Manning said, no, you're not doing it wrong. It's exactly right. You just keep it up and then Manning left and he got a call the next day from that daughter who said I want to thank you for coming to visit my father he seemed to really appreciate your visit I wanted to let you know that he he passed away that night and Manning said "Oh, I'm sorry to hear that hopefully he died peacefully and she said well I think he really did you know it's strange You, you should say that because after you left, I went in to check on him and I was going to go to the store and he seemed fine. But when I got back, I found him. He had crawled out of the bed and laid his head on that chair by the side of his bed. It was the strangest thing. Friends, that's, that's the relationship that God wants and you want one that will lead you to want to gather with others who feel the same way, to lay our heads in the lap of Jesus who loves us. It will make us want to abide alone, take it beyond a chore and a checklist to a relationship where we love God. Jesus' only question for us is, when? Let me pray for you. God, our Father, We do love you, and we thank you for loving us first. We can't believe that you you loved us even while we were so unlovely, but you did that, and you sent Jesus to die for our sins. and So we want to respond to you in love, and so God, draw us to yourself. And we know that you'll draw near to us as we do. Help each one, Lord, to know when they will meet with you.